Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we are set to continue our study on the book of Genesis. And really, this is a return from being away for about three weeks for me. Um, I know last week I returned on Wednesday and Thursday, but uh, yeah, it has been three weeks since we've talked about the book of Genesis, and I'm really excited to get back into the book of Genesis. You know, I uh, went to the coffee shop this morning, and... (laughs) I had to reread and and reread Genesis chapters 29, 30, and 31 to really get a sense of just not where I was at, but but where I want to go. And and I speak to that, I say that because it made me think of something else. You know, as we have been moving through the book of Genesis, and we've been doing this verse by verse, there's something to say about the need to read and reread to get a sense of what is going on. I mean, if you were to really, really think about it, a lot of our reading, if we're going to understand it, is going to have to be reread, right? If we're going to absorb, comprehend, internalize, we have to spend time with it. And certainly, if that could be said about our favorite novel, why not sacred scripture? Why not the the Bible? And really, we should say all the more the Bible, because this is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God. So, yeah. Read, reread, and reread, because if if you want to get the essence of what God is saying in a particular verse, in a particular chapter, then you need to spend time with it, you need to meditate with it, you need to contemplate the deeper meaning, and once you do that, you will get a sense of, of what is going on. I know in past radio programs, we have talked about different ways of reading sacred scripture specific to meditation and, and, and contemplation. Yes, there is a lot of teaching going on, but by the grace of God, the teaching is coming out of a meditation and contemplation. And as it is, I hope I'm encouraging you to do the same, right? That you are not just listening to this podcast, but you are actually going back home, opening up your Bible, and reading the verses, the chapters and verses we are spending time with. So for this evening, we are about uh, chapter 31 verses 17 to 19, and we're going to linger on those verses because there's a topic I want to talk about. And then also, I think we will get through verse uh, 32 of chapter 31. So we are moving along here. I mean, what, Genesis chapter 31, we started months ago now. I think we are podcast, what, number 57 or 58, somewhere in there. But this is okay, because as I've said before, (laughs) when you go through a book of this length, verse by verse, it's going to take time. But we are in no hurry, right? What better do we have to do than spend time with the book of Genesis uh, here on Seeds of Truth? All right, so with that, Genesis chapter 31, verses 17 to 19. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he drove away all his cattle, all his livestock which he had gained, the cattle in his possession which he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan, 
to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to share his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob outwitted Laban the Aramean, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had, and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. All right, why do I want to linger with these verses? Because we have something, although subtle, very important in verse 19. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Now, three weeks ago, which is just, I think, two programs ago, we were talking about Laban and this practice of divinization, uh, where really we have the first reference to what today we would understand uh, the new age. Now, in verse 19, we have these household gods. What are these household gods? If you were to translate the uh, Hebrew there, you have these cultic figurines used for divinization. Uh, you see this in Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 21, and uh, Zechariah chapter 10, verse 2. I failed to mention these in our discussion on divinization uh, a few uh, programs ago, where in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 2, we read, For idols speak deceit, and diviners see illusions. Therefore the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. All right, so we speak of Zechariah there, chapter 10, verse 2, because there is a reference to this practice of divinization. And what is the consequence? More wandering. Also, we have Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 21. For the king of Babylon stands at the fork in the road, at the junction of the two roads, to seek what but an omen. He shakes the arrows, he consults the idols, he examines the liver. He consults the idols. He, he consults the, the cultic figurines. And of course, my friends, this is what is rampant today, 2018. The consultation of these cultic figurines. Now, as we talk about cultic figurines, uh, maybe we should hit the pause button here because I am well aware of the question out there that, um, or concern, I should say, that we as Catholics use sacramentals as a form of superstition as a form of uh, Old Testament divinization. And so before we go any further, maybe we should address that topic a little bit. Off the top, we should probably make a distinction. Often when you see a Catholic wearing the cross or fingering rosary beads or wearing some form of metal, that is a sacramental. And so the distinction to be had is the distinction between sacraments and sacramentals. Sacraments are outward signs that give grace to those who receive them, of course, in a worthy manner. Sacramentals, on the other hand, as the Catechism highlights in paragraph 1667, are sacred signs which bear a resemblance to the sacraments. They signify effects particularly of a spiritual nature which are obtained through the intercession of the church. By them, men are disposed to receive the chief effect of the sacraments and various occasions in life are rendered holy. Now, when it comes to prioritizing sacramentals, what the church emphasizes here, and I believe this is to, to be very important if we're going to understand what's at the heart of this practice, is blessing. So the church emphasizes the importance of blessings. If you were to drop down in the catechism 
to paragraph 1671, we read, Among sacramentals, blessings of persons, meals, objects, and, and places come first. So every blessing praises God and prays for his gifts. In Christ, as the Catechism states, Christians are blessed by God the Father with what but every spiritual blessing. And so it is, blessings are of priority. Now, how does, say, this sacramental receive its power? Through the hands of the priest, of course. The priest has the power to confer blessing because going all the way back to Jesus Christ himself and the twelve apostles, as Jesus laid hands on the twelve and those twelve laid hands on the subsequent bishops and priests, all throughout the ages, God's power has been confirmed upon one priest after another through the hands, the laying on of hands. We see this in Paul's uh, letters to Timothy, the exhortation to continue the practice of, of blessing, conferring priestly blessing. All right, so it is that priests and bishops have the power to turn objects, objects such as a new rosary or, or statue into a sacramental. And now while the laity can bless, their blessings are more of a prayer or plea to God. And that's another distinction to be had here. So there's a distinction between a sacrament, one of the seven sacraments and sacramentals, and also what we mean to say when we talk about a priestly blessing, and then the blessing given maybe by way of a parent, uh, or uh, maybe the blessing we do at a meal, right? The, the blessings at meals is really a chance to, to offer God what but a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. It makes holy the mere need for nutrition, and is a very, I think, acute reminder, my friends, of the most blessed meal, the Eucharist. Now, to speak of evil is important within this larger context as we're reflecting this, my friends, because as the Catechism highlights just a few more paragraphs down, exorcism is really at the heart of what we're after when we are blessing. What does the word exorcism mean? The, the word exorcism comes from the Greek exorcia, to oath out. Is this not fitting? Because how do you enter into a sacramental relationship with God? but you swear an oath. In the seven sacraments of the church, what's at the heart of those seven sacraments? But oath binding, right? You're, you're swearing an oath. You're binding yourself to God under the umbrella of the new covenant with God. So when you talk about blessing, when you talk about entering into this covenant relationship with God, yeah, I mean, exorcism is going to be a part of this language, and this is why as the Catechism kind of expands on its treatment of sacraments and sacramentals, uh, blessings, it speaks to what exorcism is all about. So I wanted to speak to that here a little bit. An exorcism takes place when the Church really asks publicly and authoritatively in the name of Jesus Christ that a person or object be protected against the power of the evil one and withdrawn from his dominion. Now, categorically speaking, exorcisms are either simple or major, major being solemn and simple being minor. So simple exorcisms occur when? But in the rite of baptism, and not only in the rite of baptism, but also during the RSA process where candidates are asked to rebuke Satan and all his evil ways. I love when Christians are coming into the Catholic Church 
And as they do, the whole congregation, as they say the creed, rebuke Satan and all his evil ways. Right? So if you have been baptized, you have been part of an exorcism, right? Now, a major exorcism or the solemn exorcism, which has attracted, of course, a lot of attention from Hollywood, is directed at the expulsion of demons or freedom from demonic possession through the spiritual authority which Jesus Christ entrusted to his church. This as it is spoken to from paragraph 1673. Now, someone incidentally asked me, (laughs) oh, three, four weeks ago, about all of these Hollywood movies and exorcisms and how accurate they are. I was reading recently an interview from an exorcist from Mexico, and he has spent a lot of time in Rome, and he came out and said, actually, very little of those Hollywood movies get it right. While they try to get at it, um, it's nothing like what an exorcism actually is. While one or two movies may get close to it, this particular exorcist from Mexico said, um, in his experience, and he has done many, hundreds of them, that uh, what he has seen on the Hollywood screen is never what he himself has experienced. So for what it's worth, they haven't. So for all of this discussion, uh, once we come to understand that the devil exists, one thing that has proven to be true as you look back in history is that it is a great draw for the church because we innately desire to be blessed by God in the sacraments of the church. Right? I was just speaking to the rite of baptism and RCA. There is something beautiful about that pronouncement of renouncing evil. I was speaking to this, oh, a few weeks back when I was talking about Pope Francis. A lot of us want to focus in on all of these things that we think he is saying. But for my money, uh, you can make a pretty convincing case, and I follow him quite closely, that the second most important thing for him during this pontificate, if you were to just extract themes from his homilies and from his letters and from his his papal documents, is (laughs) the emphasis on evil, that Satan exists. And so if we are on the mindset that Satan does not exist, and you are quoting Pope Francis because he fits your ideology politically, you need to take a step back and reread Pope Francis, because he talks about the devil a lot. Why? Because, as he would say, the devil is alive and well, and he is winning over a lot of souls. And so we need to make sure that we are putting on the armor of God, putting on the armor of faith, with just not the sacraments of the church, first and foremost the sacraments, but also sacramentals, that we see these um, for what they are. Now, Maybe there is another question here at play that we should address before we jump back into the book of Genesis, and that is, are there sacramentals found in the Bible? So again, we're not talking about sacraments, but sacramentals. And I would say, yes. While you might not find you know, people fingering rosary beads or, or wearing scapulars or you know, donning miraculous medals, there are a number of passages of Scripture that certainly support the use of sacramentals. If you were to go to the Old Testament— 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 10 and following, what do you have there but Naaman going to Elisha for a cure for his leprosy? And what did Elisha tell him? Go and wash seven times in the Jordan, 
and your flesh will heal, and you will be clean. So here we have the saving power of what? But matter, in this case, water. Also, when the man came into contact with the bones of Elisha, he came back to life and rose to his feet. So here we see the power of coming into contact with the bones of the holy ones of God. Oh, by the way, my friends, (laughs) why the bones of saints have always been revered. And what do we call those bones but relics? Something sacred worth reverencing. Sit with that one for a little bit. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. That's someone who came into contact with the bones of Elisha, came back to life, right? Powerful. I mean, there have been many unexplained healings over the past 2,000 years when a particular man or woman has touched the bone of a saint. And that is just an echo of what happened in 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. How about the New Testament? Of course, in the New Testament, we read of Jesus healing the blind man using what but mud. Go to John chapter 9, verses 6 to 12. In this case, the earth itself, mud, is seen as a sacrament. You know, when Jesus healed that blind man, he didn't have to stoop down, reach down, and grab mud and wipe mud on his hands. But he chose to. Why? Because he wanted us to see that earth itself is a sacrament. That earth itself is holy ground. In the Gospel of Luke, the woman with hemorrhages was healed by just touching our Lord's garment. All she did was touch our Lord's garment. In Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 12, in a most convincing case, it is recounted that when cloths or aprons had touched the skin of Paul and were were applied to the sick, Diseases were healed. And what's more, evil spirits released. What did I just say about the word exorcism coming from the Greek exorcia to oath out? Exorcism is about releasing evil spirits. huh? And here again, we have another nod to the value of a relic, do we not? In this case, not bones, but cloth touched by a saint. In the Catholic Church, we have classes for relics. This would be considered a third-class relic. Of course, in the Gospel of Mark, we have reference to the importance of blessed salt. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt becomes insipid, with what will you restore its flavor? Keep salt in yourselves, and you will have peace with one another. So, we ask the question, is the use of sacramentals or as it might be perceived from the outside, cultic figurines, a form of superstition? Or maybe less of a question and more of a critique. You do this and you expect God to do that for you. My friends, this is not what sacramentals and devotionals are about. At its core, the proper use of sacramentals, again, is about blessing, and in the end applies a desire to be closer to God to be reminded of his love, to be reminded of his mercy, and and maybe above all else, in, in the case of sacramentals, to be reminded of his protection. So to pray with a rosary, a blessed rosary, or, or to cross oneself with holy water, again, is to put on the armor of faith or, or the armor of God. Sacramentals, 
serve as an aid to the faithful. Cultic figurines, pagan idols are not sacramentals. They might be sacramentals to, to the pagan or to the Satanist, but my friends, this is not what we're talking about here. As the Catechism of the Catholic Church explains it, the Church can call upon the faithful at different times and places to take up devotions or practices for a particular need, and they do so because of the call we have to pray for one another. We see bishops calling dioceses to pray a rosary, per se, for religious freedom, or maybe to pray a novena, or to participate in a procession to end abortion. Sacramentals provide a tangible, and one could argue, richer experience of the faith. We need these reminders. Let's simplify this for a second. Why do you put up pictures of your loved ones on the wall? Because they remind you of just not them, but also your relationship with them and the value of that relationship. And if that friend was, was a good friend, maybe challenging you to become the best version of who God is calling you to be. We need reminders. We need visible signs to remind us about those things closest to us. And if we're going to put this in the context of relationships and loved ones, what more could we say than the most important relationship before us, the most important loved one before us, the person of Jesus Christ? And for us as Christians and Catholics, sacramentals are nothing more than that. A reminder, a reminder that yes, possesses blessing and protection, not in some magical way, but in a very powerful way, as sacred scripture itself reminds us. And amen to that. A close friend of mine was talking about being in relationship with God. And he noted, and I can only echo him now, that God is not a vending machine. You know, we go to Mass an X amount of times, we pray an X amount of devotionals, and, and we do so so as to get something in return. That's not what this is about. This is about being in relationship with God, opening up ourselves to God, and as we do, make ourselves disposed to be at His service. With no expectation, not I'm going to do this or that to get something in return, Right? You go to a vending machine, you put in a dollar, you, you hit E9 and, and get your favorite candy bar. That's not what this is about. This is about giving all that you are and simply trusting God. That whatever it is you get in return is according to his will. Amen? Amen. All right. Before we wrap up, I did want to kind of get the discussion started with where we are headed tomorrow and the best way to do so is to just read these verses, and we'll pick up with this tomorrow. These are verses uh, 22 to 32. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Take heed that you say not a word to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban went with his kinsmen and camped in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? That you have cheated me. 
and carried away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and cheat me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and, and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Take heed that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, Because I was afraid. For I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Any one with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So again, we will pick up with this tomorrow. In particular, verse 31, because I was afraid. We've already talked about fear, but I just want to prolong that discussion a bit before we move on because... It's interesting, in these sets of verses, Jacob does not answer the accusation of stealing in verse 30, but rather he states the reason why he fled in secret. You see, as verse 32 highlights, Jacob (laughs) does not even know the idols have been stolen. Otherwise, he would not have promised death to the culprit. Endangering who? Well, who stole the, the household gods? What were we just talking about? But Rachel, so we have an interesting dynamic that is playing out that we will leave for some of our discussion tomorrow, okay? All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of this very rich book, the book of Genesis, a book that has allowed us to talk about so many different aspects of our faith. This evening, we had the chance to spend some time talking more about how we are to understand uh, the spiritual life, specifically through the lens of spiritual warfare. So we are grateful for this time. So we pray, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.